Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Home and home. 12 days from the Super Bowl in South Beach. We'll talk to Carrington Harrison Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City about the Chiefs' chances to slow down that Niners attack. And can you have it both ways, Joe Montana? Do you have to pick a damn side? Do you really have... Two teams, home and home, radio.com sports original. We're brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Check them out, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. I'm Dave Briggs, home and home and almost in Kansas City in Connecticut. Ross Tucker's in Pennsylvania, diving into the Super Bowl matchup now 12 days away. Chiefs, a one and a half point favorite. Let's get into the game with Carrington Harrison Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City. Great to talk to you, Carrington. It's Dave Briggs and Ross Tucker. I want to ask you first, though, about Joe Montana straddling the fence, saying he guarantees his team will win the Super Bowl next to a picture of his Chiefs and Niners jerseys. Okay, you probably like this. Would you hate it if you were a Niners fan? I understand why Joe Montana is doing this, but Joe Montana is not a Kansas City Chief. He's a San Francisco 49ers. He's as much of a Chief as Brett Favre is a member of the New York Jets or the Minnesota Vikings. All his memories are tied up into playing for San Francisco. Sure, he had a couple of memories in Kansas City that were good, but they did not go to the Super Bowl. He didn't want to ring in Kansas City. Joe Montana is probably one of the five best quarterbacks of all time as a San Francisco 49er. That's his team. All right, so here's my question, though. Do you guys claim him? Do people in Kansas City claim him? Because last year for the AFC Championship game, he was there. And it does feel like the Chiefs on some level claim him as being part theirs. I don't know if I would say claim. I would say appreciate. You have to think about it. If you had the lack of playoff success that the Chiefs did, and Joe Montana was the last quarterback to win a playoff game for you before Alex Smith in 2017, you would claim Joe Montana too. So I think it was more of anything. The Chiefs didn't really have a playoff legacy for about 20 years after Joe Montana. So Kansas City latched on to the one win that they did have, and it came from Joe Montana. All right, fair enough. Another piece of news I want to ask you about, and shocking news to me that the AFC Championship game the lowest rated since 2009, the numbers down considerably from last year's New England-Kansas City game. What do you make of that? This is one of those things that I think America always says how much we want new and different teams until we get new and different teams. The reason <laughs> last year's AFC Championship game was so highly rated is you had a player in Patrick Mahomes, but then he was also going up against Tom Brady and the Patriots. And the Patriots had elevated to a point where you either want to see them win and you're a fan or you absolutely hate them and you want them to lose. I was kind of having this conversation yesterday on my timeline about college basketball because everybody's like, oh, this is good. You know, we don't have Duke dominated. We don't have Kentucky dominating or North Carolina. But you're not watching Florida State play basketball either or Seton Hall play basketball. Like, 
we just love to say that we want new and different until it's time to actually watch new and different, and then we typically do something else. So let's let's dive into the game itself, Garrington, because I got a couple questions for you. First of all, I know you said against the Texans that you weren't that nervous. You still kept the faith. With the Titans this week, when it was 10-0 or 17-7, what was your level of concern? I wasn't incredibly worried because I do think we've seen these two things be the case, Patrick Mahomes, that they've scored 40 or excuse me, 31 points in every game that he's been the quarterback in in the playoffs, so they were at least going to get to 30. And we've seen now in three consecutive games they get down double digits and come back to win. Last year's AFC Championship game, the game against Houston, and then a couple days ago in the AFC Championship game against Tennessee. So I would say that we've reached the point where – you at least have to check those two boxes if you're playing against the Chiefs. And as well as Tennessee was playing, I didn't think that Tannehill was going to play at that level the whole time. Now, I also say I didn't know that Derrick Henry, after it became 17-7, would, would then basically be a non-factor for the rest of the game. In the second half, Derrick Henry had three carries. That's just not a formula in which Tennessee can win. And I would say I probably reached the same point where everybody else is. Whenever Mahomes had that run for the touchdown, at that point I knew the game was over and that Kansas City was not about to lose in the second half. So I would say I was certainly more worried in the game against Houston because the deficit was bigger. But Tennessee, I thought, I thought they were going to commit and, then, and, and, and stick to the run more than what they did. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions is just what you thought of the Titans' plan, whether it was – getting away from the run on offense or defensively. How many times, Carrington, did it seem like they only rushed three and Mahomes had like 10 Mississippi before he had to throw the ball? Their game plan, I thought, in the beginning was a little, I don't know weird is the correct term, but I think they were anticipating Kansas City putting so much resources in trying to stop Derrick Henry that they were trying to stop, uh, establish the play action. If you remember, they came out on their first drive, had that big play pass to A.J. Brown to kind of get him involved. Adam Humphreys had a couple of key third-down conversions. It seemed like they wanted to kind of establish the play action. But the biggest part of the play action is, at some point, you have to hand the ball off. And I thought that there was one stretch in the game where I thought Kansas City kind of imposed their will on Tennessee. And I wasn't sure that they could do so. Tennessee had a had a second and one. They ran the ball with Henry. Mike Pinnell, a chief defensive lineman, stopped him. They then ran it again on third and one. Mike Pinnell stopped him again, and then they called a legal formation, which then made it third and 11. I thought that sequence right there kind of showed Tennessee that Kansas City wasn't going to get pushed around in this game. And, and, and it seemed like after that point, Tennessee didn't run the ball nearly as effectively or as often. Talking to Carrington Harrison, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City, always available on the radio.com app. Any moment now, Carrington. Frank Clark's going to be mouthing off about Raheem Mostert is not a very good running back. He's a system guy that we can stop him easily. Does it give you added faith in this matchup having shut down arguably the game's best back? Do you think this is the perfect matchup for Kansas City? I don't think it's the perfect matchup for anybody. I think that these two teams are pretty evenly matched. Like whenever the line was about to get established, I said it would be probably Kansas City one, Kansas City minus two, just because I thought they would get the Mahomes advantage. But I think these two teams are fairly even. If you're going to tell me you're going to give Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan two weeks to prepare for the other team, I thought the over was incredibly low in this. I thought the over should have probably been closer to 55 and a half, 56 and a half. When I saw 52 and a half, I was really surprised. 
to see that. I just think both of these offenses are going to figure out a way to score on the other team's defense. Shutting down Derrick Henry after, a, a, after two months of 30-plus carries is a lot different, I think, than stopping that offensive line of San Francisco. And Shanahan's just going to have three or four plays kind of up his sleeve that I think are, are going to be big plays in this game. Um, a couple more for me, Carrington. One would be Mahomes, right? I mean, he was obviously fantastic. I can't believe he's running this much or this well with the whole knee thing. People are now calling him the best quarterback of all time, the most gifted, whatever they're saying. Is that hyperbole, or do you think in this case it's justified? I think it's a little bit hyperbole to kind of already be at that point, but I don't think it's hyperbole to look at the look at what he's accomplished and say that he is on a career trajectory that we've never seen before. He doesn't turn 25 until September. So, like, week three of the NFL season, he already has one MVP, one 5,000-yard passing season, one 50-touchdown passing season, two AFC championship games appearance. They're going to the Super Bowl, and if this team wins, he's going to win Super Bowl MVP and have a ring, and he's not even 25. So I do think he's the most accomplished 24-year-old NFL player we've maybe ever seen, and I would say find me someone in American sports who has accomplished this much pre-25. I mean, you're talking about Tiger Woods. You're talking about LeBron James. Like, there aren't many players in the history of American sports that you can say they've done X before 25, and that's greater than what Mahomes has accomplished. So I do think those things kind of put him in that conversation. And just from a physical standpoint, I don't really fault anybody if they say skill set-wise he's the best quarterback I've ever seen. Think about it. He's 24 years old, and we talk a lot about playoff experience and how you kind of got to grow into it, speaking to like someone like Lamar Jackson. Mahomes has never thrown a postseason interception. He has 11 touchdowns, zero interception, and like a 72% completion percentage. Like What he's doing in the NFL is just transcendent and something that we've never seen before. And then the last question I have, Carrington, uh, we talked with you throughout the season, ever since we've had this show, 50 years since Kansas City has made the Super Bowl. Can you try to put into words what this is like for those people right now, what Sunday was like, what the callers have been saying about this moment? I think it was probably as emotional as people thought it would be. If you put it into the context of the AFC Championship trophy is is the Lamar Hunt trophy, and that's Clark Hunt's father, so he's the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs. And seeing them win that and just decades of playoff disappointment, you have to think about it like this. They had been playing football at Arrowhead Stadium since 1972. Pre-Patrick Mahomes, they had only won two playoff games at Arrowhead. They've won three in the last two years with Mahomes. So I think a lot of it is the celebration of finally getting over the hump and finally going to the Super Bowl. I also think the next part of the celebration is we talk about franchise and elite-level quarterbacks. There's probably only three elite quarterbacks in the NFL, and there's probably only five franchise quarterbacks. The Chiefs appear to have one, and the AFC has been dominated so much by three individuals, Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady. Well, Brady's 43 years old, Peyton's doing nationwide commercials, and Ben Roethlisberger is coming off a serious elbow injury. There's no one really stopping the Chiefs, at least that we see right now, that can stop them from going to three of the next five or four of the next eight. Like, 
Mahomes just seems to have that ability. And if you have Mahomes and Andy Reid, I think people are really excited about the one, but I think there's also the excitement for the future of we might keep going to these things. Thanks for taking all my hope away as a Denver Broncos fan, but I do agree with all of that sentiment. I feel like we are watching the making of the greatest of all time. And now Patrick Mahomes, the leading merchandise seller in the NFL for the first time since 2016. It's not a man named Tom Brady, another sign of the changing times. Chiefs a one-and-a-half-point favorite. 53-and-a-half is the over-under. But, Carrington, we're going to have a prop bet every day on this program as we sift through Super Bowl angles. Today's prop bet is this. Super Bowl MVP first mention after getting the award now it's obvious that Patrick Mahomes is the favorite to win the MVP Chiefs being the favorite Jimmy Garoppolo is the second favorite who does Patrick Mahomes mention first after winning the MVP teammates God and religion coach and or coaches or family what's your bet if it's Mahomes I don't know enough about Jimmy G and his post-game press conferences to kind of answer it, at least if the San Francisco 49ers win. If the Chiefs win it, God is the overwhelming favorite for Patrick Mahomes. The overwhelming favorite. I thought you were going to say teammates because he always comes out, even when he was asked about arguably the greatest run in postseason history by a running back or a quarterback, that 27-yard touchdown with 23 seconds left. It was straight to the teammates. He goes God always in the postgame? I think he would go God in this because it would be like a, a, a momentous accomplishment. So I think he says God first, and then I instantly think he goes teammates. Like I would probably rank it God one, teammates slight one B. Reed will certainly get mentioned, but he's not in the top one or two to me. Yeah, yeah, based on the video and the audio I've heard, he might want to go girlfriend one. That would be my <laughs> recommendation to him. He might want to She's go nice. girlfriend one. What? What's the uh, What's the conversation? Is there any in Kansas City about his girlfriend and her videos, Carrington? I mean, yeah, I mean, there's certainly conversation about her. I think it's one of those things that because she's in Kansas City, it's like way more protective over her. I don't really care one way or the other about the videos. Like, I understand if you're 22, 23 years old and your boyfriend maybe is the most popular American athlete after LeBron James. Like, I understand being really excited about it. And I understand taking the videos. So the videos are kind of funny to me. And I think that sometimes in America, we like, whenever something is annoying, we just can't ignore it. And I think that's kind of what happens to her videos. Like, they're not that interesting to me, but they also aren't for me. So I don't follow her on Instagram. I don't follow her on Twitter. I only watch the videos when somebody asks me to watch. She is a fantastic follow on Instagram. Talking to Carrington Harrison, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City about the Chiefs Super Bowl against the Niners. But we started a debate last night. We didn't get or last week. We didn't get to finish it, Carrington. You knocked down one of the greatest sports films in history, Rocky Four. Rocky over Drago in Russia. Reiterate your hatred. For this movie what's the problem with it it's just one of the more overrated movies in american pop culture let's just go through the chronological order really quickly with apollo creed so we don't really know anything about apollo creed's backstory when the movie starts 
he just shows up. He's in this shirt and tie. He's kind of picking a champion. He's supposed to be Floyd Mayweather. He's undefeated. All right. They then pick Rocky. Rocky's fighting in the back halls of Philadelphia, fighting Spider Rico. Mickey won't even be his trainer. Mickey thinks he stinks. And then Rocky, through good American hard work, he gets up and he takes Floyd Mayweather the distance and then loses on a or, – or, uh, Apollo beats him on a split decision. Can you imagine Floyd Mayweather get taken to a split decision from some random boxer that just got picked out of the club? It's okay. Rocky two. He gets knocked out by Rocky. We then fast forward to Rocky three. Apollo Creed doesn't fight. He's retired. He's kind of helped Rocky find the eye of the tiger. Rocky four. Apollo Creed is so arrogant. He thinks that after years of retirement, he can come back and fight this Russian. He then fights the Russian. He does his best Frank Clark impersonation is talking to everybody. He dies in the first 10 minutes of the movie. He died in the movie. Then Rocky wants to avenge his friend. Adrian tells Rocky that he can't win. Rocky, he's down. He goes to Russia. It's cold. And then Adrian magically pops up and was like, oh, I want you to win. And then we get this training montage where Rocky's doing great American hard work, chopping logs and running through the snow, while Ivan Drago, who's 6'7", 265, like Zion Williamson, is doping full of steroids and training with the best people that the world has to offer. And then they go to the fight, and Rocky, who is clearly – He's, he clearly has the size disadvantage. He has the weight disadvantage. He has the reach disadvantage. He should have probably died, too, in the fight. But Ivan Drago, somehow he knocks him out in the fight. I don't understand how Rocky got all this strength from. And then Rocky, who can barely speak, then gives this impassioned speech. The movie's so ridiculous. Rocky three is better than Rocky four. Rocky two is better than Rocky four. Rocky one might be the best sports movie of all time. Creed 1 is better than Rocky 4. Not Creed 2, but Rocky 4 is by far the most overrated movie in the series. Hey, you know why he was able to beat Drago, Carrington? Because he's American. Because he's from America. And he's like iron. It is like I'm hitting iron. Carrington, how old are you? I am 31 years old. Yeah, exactly. A, you're a millennial, which means you're clueless on life. And B, you're too young to remember the Cold War. You don't know what it was like. And that movie ended a war. So get out of here with this garbage. I just know that what happened is he couldn't fight the loud black fighter anymore. So they had to like, all right, who's another protagonist that we could create? Oh, I know who everybody hates. Russia. So then we create this like stereotypical Russian for him to fight. The Russian clearly was the was the better fighter. Should have beat the hell out of Rocky. And then they go in this fight, and then just how corny and cheesy it is to get him ready to fight. It's just I can't do it. Now I'm not gonna say I absolutely hate the movie. I've seen Rocky four ten to fifteen times, but I don't have the love or appreciation for it. It, it, I wish there was a way that we could get prime Clubber Lang to fight prime Ivan Drago. Because Clubber Lang would have knocked Ivan Drago out in the fifth round. Would have absolutely destroyed Ivan Drago. Revisionist Rocky history from Carrington Harrison. And if you disagree with his takedown of one of the greatest sports films of all time, tweet him at c.harrison. At c.harrison. You need to let him know how you feel about Rocky Four. Appreciate the time, my friend. We hope to talk to you next week in Miami. I assume you are going, yes or no? I will be there Sunday morning, Great. and I just, I'm so excited today in Kansas City. It is five degrees. 
I looked at the weather in Miami, and it's like 81 degrees. I cannot wait to leave this place. I cannot wait to see Carrington Harrison in South Beach. We'll talk to you next week, my friend. Enjoy the trip. Best of luck. All right, we move on now to the Bro Bowl. From the Super Bowl to the Bro Bowl, this week is the Pro Bowl. As you know, whether you're watching it or not, it is a draft format. They pick the best players, who they roll in with in that well, somewhat watchable NFL game. So we decided we would draft our own teams if we're rolling to Vegas or if we're rolling to South Beach for the Super Bowl. One from every sport, an actor, a musician, a coach, and even a miscellaneous athlete to round out our Bro Bowl team. And Ross Tucker, I'll give you the first round pick. And let's start in the NFL since that's where we are. One NFL player you want to roll with, you want in your crew, whether it's Vegas or South Beach? Well, there is a bunch of NFL guys I could go with because I I know a lot of these guys. Uh, but the guy I'd love to hang with just because he's awesome and I'm already kind of friends with him is Ryan Fitzpatrick because he's <laughs> hilarious. We would have a blast. It would be amazing. No, you stole my choice. You know Ryan Fitzpatrick is my favorite NFL player. You had to know I would pick Fitz. I shouldn't have given you the first pick. And, you know and what? I, got a lot I, thought, of, yeah. I, I thought there was a pretty good chance you would pick him, but I still wanted to pick him. There's a lot of guys. I could do another Harvard guy. Kyle Juszczyk is awesome. Uh, yeah. Jason Kelsey, I think, would be up there. I'd love to hang out with Jason Kelsey. That would be cool. There's a bunch of guys, but I'll go. Uh, I'll go. Uh, if I can't have Fitz, I'll go Jason Kelsey. No, no, you got him. You got Fitz. This is how the draft works. I got to go to my backup. My original thought went to Kettle or Kelsey, Kittle or Kelsey, because they just are awesome personas, fun dudes. But then I realized I'm a little bit older, and that's where I lean toward Ryan Fitzpatrick. I also like the unpredictable element of Ryan Fitzpatrick because you never know what's going to happen when he starts a game. And that's the kind of night I want in South Beach or Vegas. He kind of gives you that hangover element, like the bearded dude uh, Galifianakis down there and, and the hangover that you never know. What's going to happen on a night with Ryan Fitzpatrick? At least that's my assumption. So I'll go to my backup, Jameis Winston. <laughs> he is also one of my favorite NFL players. Here's why Jameis Winston's my NFL player. Because any guy that's willing to throw that many interceptions, the first ever in the 30-30 club, ended his historic season with a pick six. I like a guy that I'm going to roll with that's willing to make mistakes. Now, granted, I'm pretending I'm single, okay? I'm pretending I'm single if I'm going to South Beach or Vegas and drafting this team. Jameis Winston is willing to throw a pick six anytime to get a better result. So that means he's going to be willing to strike out with like 40 girls before finding the right one. You need a guy who's willing to make big mistakes in order to seal the deal and get it done. So Jameis Winston gets the start for me. You want to go to baseball or to the NBA next and take your pick. You, you're steering the ship and you get to go first this time because I got first pick last time. Done. We're going to baseball and my first pick, and I only had one on this list, and I know he's received a lot of shit and he should receive a lot of crap for not saying a word about the Houston Astros cheating scandal because he was arguably the most vocal of athletes before the stealing sign scandal came out. 
I'm still taking Justin Verlander, and here's my reason why. Just in case the night doesn't go well in terms of our talents or Jameis Winston's ability at the bar, I want Justin Verlander there solely because, oh yeah, he's bringing Kate Upton. He, they're, they're inseparable. So you know whether you like it or not, he's bringing Kate Upton. And if Kate Upton is coming, she's bringing friends, Ross. If she's bringing friends, we're in good shape. I don't even need to go out. I don't even need to throw any stupid pickup lines at the bar because Kate Upton's friends, I will swing and miss all night long at the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue crew. So please bring friends, Kate, and Justin Verlander's on my squad. Baseball. I think it's a little weird that you want to bring out a guy who's going to bring his wife or girlfriend or whatever for your bro night. Uh, you you helped out a little bit friend. when, yeah, hot friends. I think you I think you you saved yourself there. Um, I don't know the baseball guys that well, but I like Mike Trout. I talked with Mike Trout once. Uh, we got a lot in common. He's an Eagles fan. He looks like a football player. He did serve his country by playing high school football. Um, I like that he looks like a safety or a linebacker. I, I just feel like, but, and he's super duper rich, so he would pay for everything. And he's Mike Trout, so you would get whatever you want, but you wouldn't be inundated by people all up in your junk because people don't even know what he looks like. So he's like perfect. Like you could get, any VIP, any red carpet, anything you want, you're going to get. But you also aren't like just surrounded by people the whole time because a lot of people don't even know what Mike Trout looks like. He seemed like a solid dude for a bro night. Solid dude, but the problem is he's not going to call ahead to the club and say, hey, I'm Mike Trout. Greatest player in the history of the game. Can you set up a little velvet rope action for us? That's Mike where Trout's I come not in. Do that. That's where I come in. I make that call. Oh, okay. Because uh, he'd wear a hat. This, this is yeah. Ross Tucker. Uh, I'm, I'm coming to the club with Mike Trout tonight. He's the greatest baseball player of all time. Can you guys set something up? Uh, I handle all advanced security for Mr. Trout. Oh, okay. We actually thought about, Dave, when we used to go to the beach – uh, I, we, we called it a beach week with my buddies from high school after college when I was in the NFL. We thought about, and we should have done it, calling ahead to making sure they had something sectioned off and acting like I was a bigger deal than I was. <laughs> I want to see you try that in South Beach next week. So solid choice, Mike Trout. I just think he wants to fly too under the radar. Doesn't seem like a big party dude. Really a dude you just want to go have a beer with? He's top five on my list. I had one of the baseball player because I think Pete Alonso is freaking awesome. New York Mets, young slugger, chicks dig the long ball, and that dude is just freaking cool. To the NBA we go. Who is your number one pick? It's back to you. One NBA player who's rolling with you. Yeah, this is pretty easy for me, and this is Zion. Uh, Zion, I love the way he looks. I love his personality. Um, he would definitely be good with the younger ladies. That's for sure. Whatever generation that is. Plus I'd really like to get my social media following up among young people and nobody would be better than Zion. I think it'd just be fun to see what it's like to be with like a 19 year old mega celebrity like that on a night out. 
That's a fantastic choice, much better than your baseball choice. I had a lot of names pop in and out of my head here, and one was because the news. In the news, James Harden was one for 17 from three-point range last night. One for fucking 17. Is there anything in life you would do 17 times if it's going that poorly for you? Most of us know it's not our night. It's not our day. It's not our week. We usually stop doing whatever it is we're failing at over and over again, but not James Harden. And that's why initially he was my answer. Because again, I want a guy who's willing to take a lot of shots even if it's just to make one. That's a dude you need in your crew. But then I remembered that Reddit story, that guest we had on Home and Home. James Harden is a huge strip club guy. I am not. I do not want to roll to the strip clubs with James Harden, so he's off my list. Sorry, Beard. Joel Embiid is my pick because Joel Embiid is social media savvy. He is a blast in terms of his personality and he has outsized confidence. He has the confidence of the greatest of all time, but he's not. So Joel Embiid is my pick. I need a dude with huge confidence. LeBron should be on the list only because you're going to get everything free. And this year, leading the league in assists, so he's willing to take a step back from the scoring and help you score. So maybe LeBron is a better choice than Embiid as I waffle back and forth. All right. To music we go. One musician. This was my hardest category. You go first in this one, actually. But this is my this is my worst category. This I did not have to think a second about. Justin Timberlake, baby. Justin Timberlake. I just feel like we could be friends, man. I feel like we we would be friends if we hung out together, right? No, we wouldn't. Do you but know, I am deranged do you know, enough I, to think that. Do you know, Dave, I had the opportunity to hang out with Justin Timberlake and I turned it down. That is just sad. That is just sad. He is easily number one coolest guy in all, all of music. Um, I just want to be near him. I just want to stand back and watch what happens when he walks into right. a club. So here's Plus, I think the deal. We'd have fun here's the a deal. Yep. We don't have enough time now, but we'll no. put that on the list. Millennials put that on the list. I will tell the story of when I turned down the opportunity to hang out with Justin Timberlake at another day. I don't feel great about my musician. This is the one that I, I, I knew the least about. Um, I went with Post Malone because he's really popular right now. I really like his music. And I've always kind of want to hang out with a guy with face tattoos. You know what I mean? Like, I just think I never really hung out with face tattoo guy before. I'd like to hang out with face tattoo guy and just ask him like what the thought process was there. And I just feel like, you know, for that night, I'd be going a different angle, be, be acting a little bit different, be acting a little hard. I'm out with post Malone. That would just be a different night than like the, uh, the Mike Trout night. Let's put it that way. Yeah. That would add the element of unpredictability that I like to have in my crew but I feel like that unpredictability could end badly for me. I'm not that risky a guy, so I don't know how that one can end. We've got a lot more picks. We've got actor. We've got miscellaneous character. Real quickly, can we get your coach of your squad? Yeah, this was tough. There's a lot I could have gone with. I went with Andy Reid because he's awesome, and it would be hilarious to go out one night with Andy Reid. 
I know this much. We would have an awesome, awesome meal, and then seeing Andy Reid late night would be hilarious. That's an awesome choice. Plus, he's going to rock a Hawaiian shirt, which you know makes me happy. My coach is easily Doc Rivers. One, my team is looking, a, you know, it, it, it needs a real, a guy that can manage different personalities. Doc Rivers does that very well, blends together different egos, different personalities. He knows how to manage that Boston Celtics team with the big three. He's done it out there with the Clippers, knows how to meld different egos and get us along the right path. Doc Rivers is my coach. Still miscellaneous character, still an actor to complete our squads. And I would add one hockey player to my squad, but I know you're not a huge hockey guy. We'll get to all of that later in the program. But up next, if you haven't seen it, you must check out the Aaron Hernandez documentary on Netflix. It is tremendous. It involves never-before-seen pictures, phone calls, but also some criticism about this stunning documentary from Jose Baez, the attorney of Aaron Hernandez. We'll ask one of the producers of the doc after a break. But first, we've got to tell you for the last time today, hopefully you guys realize how awesome ZipRecruiter is because they send your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As the applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlights the top candidates, so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now... Our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Folks, if you're not watching the unbelievable Aaron Hernandez documentary on Netflix, you are missing out. Never before seen pictures video, audio, untold stories of his career as a football player, of the murder of Odin Lloyd, family stories. There is nothing like this documentary work. Listen to a portion of this documentary if you haven't seen it yet. No one has allegedly murdered two people and then played an entire season as a professional athlete. Can't wait to be free. I'm Aaron Hernandez from Bristol, Connecticut. I play at Bristol Central High School. Aaron Hernandez was a different level of athlete. He was kind. He wasn't someone who picked on other kids. He's one of the best players in America. Get him the ball. The Patriots reward him with a $40 million contract. Aaron Hernandez was a ticking time bomb. If that doesn't pique your interest, you do not have a pulse. It is outstanding work. We'll dive into it here on a Tuesday home and home, a radio.com sports original. We're brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Check them out, ziprecruiter.com slash enter. They are the smartest way to hire. I'm Dave Briggs in Connecticut. Ross Tucker is in Pennsylvania. We welcome in Kevin Armstrong, one of the producers of this fantastic documentary, Killer Inside 
the mind of Aaron Hernandez. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us here on Home and Home. Bravo. It is outstanding work. I can't get enough of it. And what makes it so good, Kevin, my wife doesn't really remember Aaron Hernandez. The player doesn't watch a lot of football, cannot stop watching this documentary. So it's not just for sports fans. It's an incredible piece of storytelling. What's been the reaction? It's been quite a world the last five days. You know, it's not a week until Wednesday. And uh, for us to, you know, a project that we worked on for three years, a story that I reported for seven years, essentially, it, it's been, you know, pretty impressive to see the reach and uh, the feedback that we're getting from people, just understanding how much of the story uh, I think the national audience did not know. Obviously, Boston was pretty saturated with the story, but uh, there's a lot of people just learning about a number of things that went on here. Yeah, Kevin, I, I, I have not had a chance to check it out yet, but I just texted my wife and said we need to because she and I watched some one-hour thing one night. I don't know what it was, like CB, you know, it was like a 60 Minutes or something one time, and I know she actually listened to a book on tape about it. She's really in to the Aaron Hernandez story, so I literally just texted her, we got to check it out. I'm kind of curious about the process. Like, how long... Is the documentary all together, Kev? Yeah, uh, it's three one-hour episodes. So it's uh, the runtime is about three and a half hours. But, uh, you know, it, it's not the Irishman in terms of one straight shot. It's bro uh, broken up. And I think that's what really helps, you know, the, the pacing and the storytelling here, the presentation of new videos and audio including the prison phone calls uh, that Aaron had made to, you know, his fiance, his mother, any number of people, uh, really brings their voices in, let alone his voice. You know, that's, it's pretty chilling to hear his voice from the grave at this point. That to me was the most gripping aspect of the documentary is the prison phone calls to his girlfriend, with his mom, to his friend who lied for him on the on the stand, to Pouncey, another NBA uh, NFL player, they talked about their college days. How did you get access to those prison phone calls? Yeah, it's the Freedom of Information Act. You know, it's a waiting game. You, you file it to uh, the authorities and the state and the corrections folks and whatnot. And uh, you know, generally those calls aren't made public until after someone is deceased or has left uh, prison. Obviously, Aaron, uh, you know, killed himself in jail while he was serving a life sentence, even though just a week earlier he had been acquitted in a double homicide case. So, uh, you know, the unfiltered voice and really for him to, you know, being honest with his mother, with his sister, uh, but his fiance, uh, that's a whole dynamic that, you know, we wanted to explore. And, you know, he's even speaking with his agent at one point about possibly getting a Smith & Wesson endorsement deal. And, you know, these are the conversations that somebody who's very comfortable in prison, you know, you, you, there's a warning on each of the phone calls, let alone next to the phone that, you know, the government is recording these conversations. But clearly Aaron felt, you know, uh, comfortable enough in prison to uh, continue to elaborate on a lot of different uh, subjects. So my question is, you know, getting back to the three one hour uh, portions of it. How much footage do you guys have? You said three years. Like, how much time and footage goes into having three one-hour uh, programs? 
a significant amount. You know, I, I traveled for this case alone. You know, I traveled to Florida, Connecticut, Rhode Island, uh, you know, Boston and Massachusetts as a whole, all over the place. You know, I, I covered him, you know, as a Patriot when he was in the NFL. Remember the Super Bowl catch that, you know, I was there when he caught it from Brady and whatnot. So, you know, I knew Aaron Hernandez, the singular talent in terms of, you know, as a reporter. And then when we saw the case and covering both of the trials, there's just so much more to explore. Family dynamics, you know, what led to someone who had a $40 million contract to throw it all away. Literally, all he had to do in life was not kill somebody. And he wound up being accused of three murders. Talking to Kevin Armstrong, one of the producers of Killer Inside, The Mind of Aaron Hernandez. It explores all aspects of this, including how this was arguably the dumbest crime we have ever seen in terms of the evidence, in terms of the path leading directly to Aaron Hernandez's door, literally and figuratively. When, in your sense, did Aaron Hernandez turn bad, and how much did the Patriots turn a blind eye to? Yeah, I think there's a major pivot in his life when his father dies. He's still in high school. He's headed to UConn is the understanding. Uh, you know, everything changes in kind of his junior, senior year of high school there after his father dies. And he winds up going to Florida. Very competitive atmosphere. He's the Connecticut kid who comes down there. He's got to prove himself in the SEC. And, you know, it's kind of a cauldron down there at that time, too. You know, Urban's very aggressive, very, you know, wants to. Uh, titles and everything. And, you know, here's a guy who's trying to find himself. His father's gone. You know, he, he wants to establish this reputation, you know, uh, of being tough amongst these guys. And if you remember, you know, the Gainesville years with Urban Meyer, there was a lot of, you know, issues, a lot of arrests and whatnot. So, you know, he's around a different element there. And uh, where Urban says that he was, you know, scared when or, you know, took note of when Aaron went back to Bristol, Connecticut. So there's, you know, some discrepancy there in terms of finger pointing, whether, you know, the hometown or the college town, whatever kind of, you know, led him to uh, this path. But clearly, you know, Aaron had multiple decisions to make in his life and he chose the wrong one a lot. Kevin, it sounds to me like one of the biggest revelations from the documentary, at least things that people are talking about, is the stuff with Aaron Hernandez's sexuality. What did you find in that regard, and what's been the feedback and response to that? Yeah, you know, uh, earlier stories had explored it to some degree. The Boston Globe had, uh, you know, initially spoken with a high school teammate who said he had a sexual relationship with Aaron Hernandez, and we spoke with him as well, Dennis Sansucci. Uh, we spoke with his father, and you know, we spoke with uh, Ryan O'Callaghan, a uh, former Patriot himself who did not play with Aaron, but certainly knows the culture of the New England Patriots locker room and the organization. So uh, we wanted to apply as much perspective and context as we could in terms of explaining, you know, it's 2020. There's a lot of issues in, uh, being discussed about sexuality, and especially in sports at this point. And we just tried to bring a lot of perspective to, you know, what had been a uh, a discussion that really took place in newsrooms uh, throughout his investigations and trials. It was just a matter of how to handle it. And we, we believe we you know did so with care. 
Talking to Kevin Armstrong, one of the producers of Killer Inside, The Mind of Aaron Hernandez, the fantastic documentary on Netflix. You knew that there would come some criticism. And Jose Baez is the attorney for the late Aaron Hernandez. He said on Instagram, quote, these producers lied directly to my face, so I don't expect their money-making scheme to be much better. He suggested that CTE had everything to do with the death of Aaron Hernandez and the man he become in those latter years that had nothing to do with his sexuality, adding, quote, they are not even close to the truth. Kevin, what's your reaction to Jose Baez? We appreciated sitting down with Jose. Obviously, uh, Dan Wetzel and I, uh, who executive produced it, we covered the trials for uh, myself for the New York Daily News, Dan for Yahoo Sports. We know he's a very aggressive, very you know solid attorney, Casey Anthony. He's known in terms of a few cases now where he's gained acquittals uh, from juries. And when he sat with, down with us, we appreciated the perspective. He offered us an inside look at really some of the decision making that uh, Aaron Hernandez's defense team made. And, you know, obviously he has some differences in terms of uh, what we chose to present in terms of the docu docuseries. But in all, you know, I don't think anybody knows what exactly led Aaron Hernandez to make the decisions that he made. And our job was to present everything that was available to us. And we believe that we accomplished that with the presentation that we made. Kevin, What's been the, the, the biggest reaction response that you guys have gotten in general so far? How much of it's been positive? How much has been negative? Yeah, I, I think it's been overwhelmingly positive. I, I think that there are people who appreciate the story, uh, you know, from the victim's point of view. Uh, we took, you know, great care to tell Odin Lloyd's story because we believe that, you know, Aaron Hernandez's story might be the headline and the title of the piece, but Clearly, there were a number of lives that were affected by him. And the same goes for Daniel De Abreu and Safiro Furtado. Aaron was acquitted of their uh, being involved with their homicides or being char the charges that he faced. But still, you know, those families came to the courtrooms each day and really, you know, were waiting for, you know, some kind of uh, conclusion themselves. So I think that, you know, really, you know, it's only been five, six days since the uh, start streaming on Netflix. and we couldn't be happier in terms of the reaction. Uh, you know, there's conversation driven by this, and we hope that a lot of people learn uh, not only from Aaron's story, but from uh, those who were involved in his cases as well. Tremendous detail about Odin Lloyd's life. You hear from his former teammate. He played uh, semi-professional football, but essentially they paid to play football, which really tells another side of Odin Lloyd. Talking to Kevin Armstrong about Killer Inside, the mind of Aaron Hernandez, what do you want viewers to take away from the story of Aaron? And do you feel, Kevin, that there's another chapter to the story as related to the CTE? Yeah, you know, I, I think we took pride in providing panoramic reporting. We were willing to speak to anyone, anywhere, anytime. And we really, you know, put the resources into that. We, we did exhaustive, uh, you know, research to understand Aaron's life in whole. He was only 27 when he died. He was 23 when he was arrested. So, you know, there, there was so much more life for him to live. And, you know, understanding his family and obviously CT is part of that. Uh, Boston University, Anne McKee, the great uh, neuropathologist, 
has clearly, you know, said he was stage three CTE and, you know, the worst case for somebody that age at that point. So, you know, there, there's a lot of discussion to be had. Aaron played in the NFL for three years, three years at the University of Florida, high level football. A lot of people played at that level and don't make the decisions that Aaron made in terms of the criminal activity. So there, there was a criminal mind to really break down and understand as well, not just the singular talent that Patriots fans celebrated for the time that he was there. Uh, his girlfriend has, uh, has said she wants privacy on Instagram. Kevin, have you heard from friends, family members, their reaction to seeing the documentary? You know, I've heard from people in Bristol. I can't say that we've heard from the Hernandez family uh, in particular, but, uh, you know, definitely friends and family, both those who cooperated with the film and those who, you know, informed us off camera as well. So, you know, there was plenty of, uh, you know, institutional knowledge heading into the film process. Uh, Dan and I both covered it pretty thoroughly as journalists. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of uh, wanted to bring everybody into the project that was willing to speak with us, including Jose Baez, uh, who we appreciated uh, him sitting down with us. Outstanding. And final question is there's a lot of people that wonder of that $40 million contract that Aaron signed, are we aware of how much uh, Hernandez actually earned and what was left of the estate at the time of his death? Yeah, you know, I, I think those numbers aren't, they're going to be hard to tell, you know, unless his agent, you know, speaks to it. Uh, you know, obviously the, the number that's always assigned to Aaron is that it was a five-year extension for $40 million. And, you know, that came, you know, shortly before everything transpired in terms of the criminal uh, you know, accusations and whatnot. There was about a year of that that he actually played. So, um, you know, the Patriots are, you know, an organization that, you know, is not going to just hand over money. And, uh, you know, there have been court, uh, you know, hearings and discussions over the years and whatnot. But um, at the end of the day, Aaron, you know, died when he died. Uh, his conviction was originally vacated, but then it was reinstated. So he is, you know, officially convicted of killing Odin Lloyd and, you know, served a life sentence at the time of his uh, suicide. So that money is going to be very difficult, if even possible, to get uh, at this point from the Patriots. Highly recommend you check out Killer Inside, The Mind of Aaron Hernandez, streaming on Netflix right now. Outstanding piece of documentary uh, work. Appreciate your time, Kevin Armstrong. Thanks so much and congratulations on the work. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Love to have you back. And uh, Dan Wetzel did a terrific job on this documentary as well. If you haven't streamed it yet, you must check it out. All right, just a little bit time to go here in the program. Before we do, let's talk a little NBA off the court with Steve Cerruti, our good friend from Scal and Pals. Steve, it's good to have you on because one of the strangest stories came out of the NBA and it's related to Delonte West, the former Boston Celtic. The disturbing video of him handcuffed on the sidewalk, shirtless, and a lot of his former teammates, at least at St. Joe's and in the NBA, worried about the mental health of Delonte West. Give me a little context of what happened here, what the video, how it went so viral. 
Yeah, I mean, it basically just shows him. Um, I mean, there's two separate videos that I saw. One of him kind of getting beat up in the middle of the street, and then another one after he had, I think, been arrested and was handcuffed and was just sort of, you know, swearing and kind of, you know, didn't didn't obviously didn't look well both physically and mentally. And you know, this is the thing that goes back to I think 2008 first when he was initially diagnosed as a, a, as having a bipolar disorder. Um, you know, he's had multiple issues since then, uh, both on and off the court. He's been suspended. And a lot of people attribute that to his bipolar disorder. And, you know, he hasn't played in the league since 2012. Um, you know, he's made nearly $20 million in his career. So you have to wonder, you know, obviously, like, you know, it, whatever his mind state was, it, that that whether he has that anymore or it doesn't seem like that or his state doesn't seem like he uh, like he obviously knows what's going on anymore. So. The question now becomes, what what does the NBA do? And I'm interested to talk to guys. We're going to have Kendrick Perkins on today, and obviously Brian Scalabrini, both guys that play with Delonte West in Boston, and want to ask them about kind of their thoughts on this. And it does seem like the, what the good thing is that the NBA community has sort of wrapped their arms around this and are trying to find a solution. What that solution is, we don't really know yet. I can tell you that, I mean, a couple of years ago, people were talking about whether or not there are, you know, I guess avenues for uh, – for the league to help him out of the NBA PA for him to help. There is in 2016, the league did with the NBA PA pass a, like basically a, a new, you know, policy that gives players health insurance, education, career development, things like that, pension benefits for when they are retired. So there is help that is out there for Delonte West. It's just kind of all about how, you know, it's sort of going about it and what the NBA does about it. So we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I'd have a very different reaction to the story if it were, of course, a former NFL player because, of course, of CTE and the, the brain damage that the players have endured. But I guess I don't understand all the people blaming or at least adding the NBA. Um, what is the NBA's responsibility to step in here and help? To your point, they've already made options available to former players. Doesn't their responsibility end there? The problem is that with how public it is, I mean, I, I, I think your point is right. I mean, there, you know, I'm sure there are, you know, probably millions of people uh, who are suffering from similar things and aren't getting the proper help. But obviously, Delonte West is a famous guy that played in the NBA that people know. Right. Um, but I do think that that is that's sort of where it starts. Right. If we start helping people like that. Now, the NBA has been really proactive and, um, you know, have been supportive of their, of their own current athletes, including DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Love, many athletes who say they struggle with mental illness or depression or th different things like that and have been very accommodating to them, oftentimes, you know, giving them sort of the help that they need or at least making sure teams have the infrastructure it takes to help players that are not only going from, through physical ailments, but mental ailments. So I think that's a big part of the process. The, N the NFL thing is interesting. I do think you're correct. Like, if, you know, if the NFL was going through this, if it was an NFL player, I'm sure they would get crucified because that, that's what they get killed for everything. Yeah. And the NBA has sort of always been in the in, the NBA has always been um, the media has sort of treated the NBA as though um, they're the most proactive and progressive league, which in some ways they are. But a little sometimes I do think that is a little overblown. But it, there there are steps to be taken where the NBA I mean, the, the balls in the NBA's court right now. Like they the, I, it would be a great look for them if they went out, tried to sort of figure something out, maybe try to get him rehabilitated. And then, you know, because because they, they can't do anything right now. That would be a terrible, obviously, PR thing. But there are measures in place from former players from the league that can help him. Um, but I, I do think like the, the NBA's reputation of being very progressive when it comes to this is helping them in the pub in the court of a public opinion here. So. All right. A current player, another guard is of sound mind and body, at least we think. Kyrie Irving has had a hell of a week, though, and then on Martin Luther King Day said something that, well, rubbed a few people the wrong way regarding the criticism uh, aimed at Kyrie and some of his comments over the last couple of weeks. Listen to what Kyrie said yesterday. 
And I was out for those seven weeks and not saying anything, and still people are still saying things about me. It's, it's inevitable. You know, they crucified Martin Luther King for speaking about peace and social integration. It was, it, you know, you could go back to historical leaders and great people in society that do great things, and they're still going to talk shit about them. It is what it is. Like, I know what I stand for. I'm a great family man. I have great values, core values. This basketball stuff is a game at the end of the day. It's dramatized. It's entertainment for people and fans. I'm a human being at the end of the day. I'm going to keep on reiterating that. But like I said, my focus is making sure my teammates are great. <laughs> Kyrie Irving, the <laughs> earth is flat, Brooklyn Nets. Uh, one, talking to Steve Cerruti, Scallon Pals, did he just compare himself to Martin Luther King? And how much criticism does he deserve right now Does he brought on himself? Well, all right. I mean, there's two things for me here. Obviously, anytime anyone compares themselves to Martin Luther King, uh, it's it's probably just going to be a disaster. Because why, why would you even why would you even put yourself in the same? Like the guy is obviously um, has done a, a number of amazing things for this country and, and has been unbelievably progressive. Like anytime you compare yourself to that as a basketball player, um, it, it's just not going to go over super well because of all the things that he had to go through. And a lot of people already think that these NBA players are sort of pampered and 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 you know treated super well, which a lot in a lot of cases they are. I don't have a huge issue with it. Like I I understand like why it's a bad look, but I don't know. It's Kyrie. Like I have a bigger problem with Kyrie. And this whole thing of him, you know, I care about my teammates like this is all, you know, I just want to make sure that we're a championship level organization and my teammates are good because you really don't care, Kyrie. Like you don't care at all. Like, in fact, like you just you, a couple of days ago, we were having a massive conversation about how you just threw most of your teammates under the bus. You named, you know, four or five different teammates that you wanted to stick around. And you obviously omitted about three or four that were key contributors. Um, it's basically like I name my friends and I want to play with my friends. And that's kind of what Kyrie's deal is. So I have more of a problem with that. You know, this whole. I just don't. And then the other part of it is like Kyrie always wants to blame like, oh, I'm a human being first, which is obviously like he's saying like it's the same thing like when he didn't go back to Boston and Boston fans kind of, you know, killed him for it, which, again, yeah. I think that's part of sports, Dave. Like, I don't you know, I, and I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. We talked about this with Scal. Like, I didn't see and Scal was in the building. I didn't see anything like super aggressive as far as going at Kyrie. I mean, they were calling him a coward. They were certainly calling him a lot of names, but I don't think there was anything that was really below the belt or inappropriate. It was just that that's what sports is. That's what fans do. And you left there on bad terms and the fans are going to boo you when you don't come back or because they obviously wanted to boo you when you were there. So I have more of a problem with him acting like he's above all this and acting like he's the perfect teammate. and He wants everything to be kumbaya when everything that he has said yeah. and all of his actions prior to this have not suggested that is what you want to do. So you can knock him. I mean, the, the the Martin Luther King thing is obviously so Kyrie and it's very funny, but the actual on the court basketball stuff that he's claiming to be all about and be about that life, he's proven that he doesn't care about any of that. So that I have a bigger problem with that and him acting like he's the perfect teammate and wants to be this leader when he's shown, whether it's in Boston, whether it's before LeBron got there in Cleveland or whether it's now in Brooklyn, that that's not, the, that's not the guy he is. So like, I, I just think he's being fake. Yeah, look, I covered uh, Boston sports for many years, and the reception he got there was tame compared to the reception other guys have had returning to Fenway Park, for example, far meaner and nastier. Or other ones in the NBA, feels, Dave. You know, or like or other ones in the NBA. Like, you know, Kevin Durant, like the cupcake signs. I mean, again, that's not that wasn't, you know, the end of the world, but like that was way worse and more hostile where LeBron returning to Cleveland when he was in Miami. Like, those were way, way worse than the one that Kyrie got in Boston. I think a lot of that has to do with they're probably they're honestly I think Boston fans are happy and you talk Jalen uh, Jalen Brown just did an interview with Bleacher Report like those guys are all happy he's not there anymore so it's like they're, they're yes they're booing him in some way but they're also yeah. kind of happy that like 
we are done with you, dude. Like, we don't have to deal with your crap. And we have Kemba Walker, who's a much nicer guy. And, yeah, maybe he's not as talented as you, but we are able to play the type of basketball that we want to play because you're not here anymore. So I honestly think Boston fans were a little bit relieved in that as well. Feels like that experiment is going bad before it even begins. You mentioned Kemba Walker, who was 0 for 28 <laughs> against LeBron James before the win yesterday for the Celtics. Uh, before we go, 139, 107, Boston beats the Lakers, stomps them in every way, shape, or form. Uh, LeBron with 15, AD with just nine points on three of seven shooting. Do you learn more about the Lakers or more about the Celtics? It's just one Oof. game. But which yeah, team did you learn more about? It's a tough, it's a tough call. Like I, so uh, full disclosure, I my finals pick is I have the Lakers over the Bucks. So this year has so far, at least regular season wise, been good for me. I'm not by any means cashing that check whatsoever because I still have questions about both teams. I still, you know, as much as I like what the Lakers look like, I still have questions about Anthony Davis. Can he step up and be that true number two or even a number one in games one, especially when they play the Clippers? Like once, you know, the Clippers have two guys that are basically the number one and number two LeBron stopper in the league and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. So Anthony Davis is going to have to yeah. step up and do that. I'm not sure we've seen anything this year that suggests that he can do that or will do that. I'm still optimistic because I think when talent wise, he's a top five player. But I do think. The issue for the Lakers all season has been they they beat up on teams under 500. They have one loss all season against teams under 500, um, and they've they've been okay against teams over 500. And like as as many of us know, all the teams you're gonna have to play in the playoffs are gonna be over 500. They're going to be good teams. They're 0 2 against their crosstown rival Clippers. I think we would be freaking out a little bit more about the Clippers um, if they had not won both of those games. So I think that they've sort of benefited that, from that a little bit as well because they they're, they're certainly going through some struggles as well with load management and maybe some locker room issues. But I think we learned more about the I, – I think we learned more about Boston last night because I think Boston yeah. – that showed you that when Boston's right, they can, they can beat really anybody. Now, I don't think – I'm not saying they will do that in the playoffs because I think that they still have some deficiencies in the front core. I think they could probably use a big – um, now their wing play is as good as anybody in the league, but they do have some deficiencies there. But I think when they're right and when they're playing their game, they're, they can beat, they can knock off all these giants. Now I'm not saying they're going to go out and beat Philly or they're certainly not going to go out and beat Milwaukee, but I think we sort of know what the Lakers are. I think the Lakers are a good team and there are questions about how good they can be against the great teams in the NBA. I think I had some questions about Boston and whether or not they can beat some great teams. I think last night, if, if it proved anything, proves that when Boston wants to get up for a game, they can. Boy, you have got a lot of subject matter for today's Scal and Pals. Check them out on the radio.com app, on iTunes, on Spotify. You've got the Delonte West story. You've got the Lakers getting stopped by the Celtics. And we didn't have time to talk about James Harden, one uh. of 17 from three. You got to admire. He just keeps on Doesn't shooting. And Steve Cerruti, you keep on shooting too, my friend. We'll see you on Scal and Pals. Thanks for the time. Thanks, dude. Anytime. All right, brother. Check them out. Scal and Powell's outstanding show with Steve and Brian Scalabrini. And they know this Delonte West story very, very well. They'll explore it. Tomorrow, we'll delve more into that. And also, Major League Baseball. Tonight is the 2020 Hall of Fame class. And there are a ton of questions we have for John Heyman of the MLB Network, Radio.com Baseball Insider. Is Derek Jeter a unanimous Hall of Famer? The ultimate question, Clemens and Bonds, does one get in? Did neither get in? And I'm going to be pissed off if Larry Walker doesn't make the Hall of Fame. He's a Hall of Famer. The numbers prove it without a shadow of a doubt. Larry Walker is a Hall of Famer. Please tell me he gets in. If he's not, you'll have an angry 
Dave Briggs on a Wednesday. We'll see you then. Hey, everybody, it's Ross Tucker. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home Podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. Home and Home. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 